0: I just wanted to ask you, first of all. So you were in Austin in the mid '80s. Would you have gone? Would you have gone to any Austin city limits tapings, given that you could walk to the studio? I
1: did. The only one I really remember, all these years later, was Neil Young.
0: <gasps> oh, this was the bit when Neil Young didn't sound like Neil Young.
1: Yes, although he, this was uh, in the run-up to Old Ways. You remember that one?
0: I was not Uh-oh. there. I was not. I, I'm a 1988 baby. So I don't know (laughs) Neil's 80s period, sorry.
1: Gotcha. Um, Yes, this was at the end of a period when he was doing techno records and weird heavy metal and rockabilly. And then he comes back with a uh, straight up country record. Uh, You know, real gloppy with strings and everything. Uh, And that was 1985. And I saw the show he did and the run up to that. So so it was Neil being Neil, more so than he'd been
0: in a while, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, Neil but, uh, cranked uh, up to uh, ten. Yeah. And, and <laughs> since you worked at No Depression magazine, would Neil Young be the patron saint of the alternative country movement?
1: Uh, I don't know that I would call him the uh, one of uh, certain one. Um, part of the conversation of uh, the most important heritage acts lineage that kind of starts with Graham Parsons, uh-huh. and he's in there somewhere too, most
0: definitely. Ah, Graham Parsons started his career around the same time as the gentleman who should just have logged in. I've let Ray Benson into the room. I hope that the door is high enough. First of all, belated mazel on becoming a grandfather. I wanted to lead with the fact that your son, Aaron, had a son. How old's your grandson now? One year. Oh, wow. So he has no idea what Grandpa Ray does no, he
2: really likes my beard, though. He, he likes the beard.
0: Oh, I bet. And one day he's going to grow up to be just as tall as you. There is a soccer player called Peter Crouch who's six foot seven, and he had loads of business cards made saying, "Yes, I'm tall. Yes, the weather's nice up here. I'm glad we had this discussion."
2: Yeah. Mm. If somebody says to me, "How's the weather up here?" I go, like, "I go. <clears throat> it's raining."
0: <laughs> oh, it shouldn't be raining because there's there's sunshine all over your catalog. Annabelle, I heard for the first time about three hours ago. I don't know oh. why the world doesn't know this song.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was uh, a while ago. Well, I put it... out that album and uh, it, it seemed to me that nobody pays attention to Ray Benson unless the words
0: asleep at the wheel are, are next to it. It's like what I, I read about Mick Jagger. I was talking with uh, David Menconi about the mid-'80s and there was a period where Mick Jagger went solo. Mick Jagger can't sell out like Staples Centre. Mick and Keith and Ronnie Wood, and the rest can. So does that sadden you, that as a solo act, you can be the singer-songwriter figure, but people want to see the western Swing, Jump Blues, Country Old Time fiddle music?
2: Well, you know, that's just the realities of show business at this point. You know, um, brand name is everything in terms of the public because uh, they're so inundated, you know, uh, by everything. You know the internet. The, 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 just, just just the myriad of ways that people are uh, informed and entertained. That um, it's hard for them to dig deep into stuff. It's it's kind of like Twitter world. I call it. Okay, you got you know 144 characters, or whatever it is, to 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 make your point And. I think that's the, that's the thing, is it? it's easier to just go, oh, Ray Manson is like you just said, you know. So when you're in show business, you deal with the realities of what he is, and, and, and that's it. It doesn't stop me from being creative, though. That's the deal.
0: No, and nor has it stopped a paperback version of a book with deep breath. Coming right at you, how a Jewish Yankee hippie went country, comma, or... The Often Outrageous History of Asleep at the Wheel, which came out uh, in the mid-2010s, co-written with David Menconi, who is also here. I just wanted to lead with asking David, what is your favourite factoid about Ray Benson? What is it about Ray? Tell us something that even he doesn't know about himself.
1: (laughs) Seeing as how Ray has been around the world twice and talked to everybody at least once, I I don't know what about himself he wouldn't know, but... uh... I I know it was amazing for me to discover that he didn't grow up on a cattle ranch somewhere in West Texas, but was, you know, this Jewish fella from Philadelphia who reinvented himself as the greatest Texan there is. And, Mm. uh, yeah, I I went to school in the mid-80s around Austin, seeing Asleep at the Wheel around and about, and uh, didn't think all that much about the origins of the tall guy at the microphone, but uh, it was amazing and deeply, deeply entertaining to discover this when we were doing the book.
0: And the paperback is out just in time for Hanukkah, uh, December 6th. I will certainly be asking for it because I own Western Standard Time on vinyl. It's I think it's still in the plastic and I put it on because the cover is magnificent. I think I found it in a secondhand store, so I hope you got some money for it. But it knocked me out because, A, I'd never heard anything like it before, and B, it sounded like everything I'd heard before I don't know if you get that comparison often but it's kind of uh, a schmutter of music my my great-grandma's first language was Yiddish so I'm sorry if, if you might hear some Yiddish in here uh, but it's a schmutter it's everything did that come back to haunt you when like Garth did stadium rock uh, because you you can't pin down your sound because it's incategorizable well
2: that was the intent that's why I started the band so you know I was fully aware about the, not the dangers, but the expectations of not being a mainstream music, you know, because again, mainstream music's always, and no matter what the era is very clearly defined uh, by the, the, songs that make it to, to the top 10. So I knew that, uh, that eclecticism was, was going to be our byword. Uh, it was a friend of mine, my, my pal, you know, you have pals in, in high school and we start defining, our musical taste, and, and ours was, I want a band that, that reflects my record collection. <laughs> so, you know, that went from John Coltrane to Hank Williams. So, Ooh,
0: Wow. You'd get laughed out of a record executive's office because the guy, and it would probably be a guy would go, well, how the hell am I going to sell this? What, what category of uh, genre in the record store? I went to the States about three years ago. Because my dad lives in Manhattan now, and I was appalled that the CDs are alphabetized by alphabetization. They're not categorized by genre, so we're now post-genre, which I think would benefit a band like Asleep at the Wheel, which is so wedded to live performance. I mean, you cut, do you cut to tape in the studio, or is it still is it digital now?
2: Uh, it's a little combination of both okay. because we, uh, you know, I've had a recording studios for thirty years. We found a way to you know, not to get too esoteric on you, but, you know, we found a way to uh, make records that sound analogue, utilising the digital format. Uh
0: Yes, much like the, the modern day, when you cut to vinyl and it's all sounding digital, so it's a mix of the two. I'll turn to David, who had the horrible task of listening to that voice belonging to Ray Benson for how many hours? Like 300, 400?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, probably at least. Um it's funny, our, our uh, M.O. for this, I, I live in North Carolina and raised in Austin, so I would fly into Austin, he'd pick me up, and we'd start out going to dinner with some friends of his, and I would just sit there and be a fly on the wall, sometimes with a notebook on my knee, just making notes of things to ask him later when um. he and his friends started telling stories about back <laughs> in the day.
0: And just so, for, the, uh, for the listeners' benefit, some of these friends... Oh, Joe Ely, Kurt Pipkin, Darden
1: Smith—you know—it was just—it was sort of a who's who of Texas music from the past half century, and uh, really amazing just to sit there
0: and listen. Hugely enjoyable, obviously, really loved it. And well, I, I won't—I won't ask who picked up the check for dinner, but these must have been. Uh, you were you were in the inner sanctum. By this time, you'd written a book about Ryan Adams, who is a polarizing figure, but I love his work. You've, you've since written a book about pop in North Carolina. Um, North Carolina's big at the moment, what with Luke Combs selling out the O2 in London. So you must be very pleased that North Carolina's hugely on the map. I know it always has been.
1: Well, indeed. Uh, you know, I wasn't aware Luke Combs was quite that big, that he could sell out the O2 but that's great and uh yeah North Carolina it's kind of known for its side men like Earl Scruggs and loman Pauling from the Five O'L's and uh it's it's great to see them taking center stage now too
0: yeah i mean i i have started to call austin the center of country music nashville is the center of money it's where art art goes to die And it's very interesting that Willie Nelson, whom, Ray, you'll unfortunately be yoked with forever, uh, as someone who used to record in his studio, who's a good friend of Willie's, um, Willie had to go back to Texas because he failed. Would you have ridden the wave when Redheaded headed Stranger and Stardust came out? Did you know him around the 70s, when Asleep at the Wheel were a very, very young band? Yeah, I met Willie in
2: 1971. Great. Uh, we were backing up country singers. We were backing up Freddie Hart, Connie Smith, Dickie Lee, on you know. We were young, and he came to one of the shows as one of the acts. The promoter hadn't paid us in a while, and Willie said, "Have you been paid?" I said, "No, but they're going to pay." I was twenty years old. He said, "We're going. He's going to pay us uh, tomorrow." <laughs> Willie went back and tried to get paid, and came back and said, "Come on, Paul B, we're going back to Nashville." He was still in Nashville. The guy doesn't have the money, and went away. Anyway, so I've known Willie. From, and then we started working in small clubs in, in Texas in 73 and um, became really good friends uh, because, again, he grew up on Bob Will's music and popular music and country music and, and and understood that that's what Asleep the Wheel did was we did Western swing, country, Western music, and then whatever. And that's, that's sort of in Willie's uh, mantra. But, no, this is my best pal. This is a guy who... Uh, you know, without Willie Nelson asleep at the wheel would not probably wouldn't have made it past, you know, the mid eighties. Uh,
0: what I like about Willie who woke up still not dead today, every day uh, he wakes up still not dead. That's one of my favorite of his is that he had a TV special dedicated to him at the age of 70. And it was obviously because TV execs said, Oh my God, we've got to get him while he's still here. He's 90 next year. He shows no signs of slowing down. Uh, Does it give you hope that you'll be doing this until 90 as well? Or do you not think that far ahead?
2: No, this morning I confronted that issue head on. It was the first thing this morning. You know, I'm six foot seven. Willie's five foot seven. And his body was built better to take 90 years than mine is. Hmm. I sure would hope to. But, um, you know, I've been through all of Willie's health problems with Willie, you know, we were, you know, for, for, the, for the last 40 years. Mm. And uh, he is just an amazing uh, human being that, that, that there will never be another Willie Nelson in so many different ways. But to answer your question, I, I would hope to, but I, I don't think so. Just because uh, big, big tall people do not live as long as small people. And that's a medical fact.
0: Yeah. So. No, well, you've, you've made Half a Hundred Years, which uh, Jamie Johnson came up with that title for an album that came out last year, which I loved. I thought it was so brilliant. I wish I could have seen it live. David, did you see them, the band perform Half a Hundred Years live?
1: No, that did not come to my neck of the woods, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did see Asleep at the Wheel just a month or two ago in Saxapahaw, North Carolina. And uh, still very fine as always.
0: Well, they were, if I say they, it's Ray Benson's band, you, uh, were at the Bluegrass Museum last weekend, and you're coming over to France this weekend, yeah. we speak. So we're speaking at the end of October. Do you have uh, beaucoup de fans in France?
2: yeah 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 uh you know we played at euro disney years ago and uh this was booked before the pandemic so we finally got it in that old uh, uh george carrier is a wonderful promoter of country music over there so yeah um yeah you know it's hey you know if it weren't for uh Brexit, Boris Johnson, and uh, what's the new lady, lady trust? <laughs> we might have been our, <laughs> our UK tour got cancelled because uh, I don't think you can afford us with the rate of exchange nope.
0: anymore. No, it's it's ghastly. <laughs> no, we'll need to sell an arm and a leg to get how many? How many of you are there? Ten?
2: Uh, yeah, we travel with ten. Uh, you know, we've just reformed the band. David uh, got to see the. Was was Jenny Mac with us there? Yes. Yeah, yeah, she got. So you got to see. Uh, that well, actually, yeah. The sleep at the wheel now is is sort of a amorphous kind of thing built around a core, and I guess it's always been actually. So it's really interesting because, like yesterday or this weekend, we had two fiddlers, a young fella who was Larry Franklin's nephew, actually, who was one of our old fiddlers. Uh, but on the Europe trip, Katie Shore will come back with us uh, for uh, for a week, and. Uh, Jenny just started, and she's just worked out really well in the last... You know, we're just still working it in, and uh, she's been great. It's always been that. uh, You know, how many fools can I gather around to do what I want to do, you know?
0: Correct. And what you do, by the way, we should clarify, is that you prove beyond reasonable doubt that baby boomer hippies can play... Country, so you unite the rock and rollers and the rednecks. I was thinking about this. I don't want to get too political, and I don't know what your politics are. If you've been in Texas so long, I guess Texan. Um, but today's hippie and cowboy. We don't have musical genres. We don't have musical crowds. I mean, David, when you were at uh, University of Washington, the 80s would have been kind of Duranis may have been there, or. Uh, people who were into soul and people who were into bit kind of Billy Idol. Nowadays, music as a, as a, somewhere with the pits, genre A against genre B doesn't really work. So a lot of people's arguments seem to be spilling over into social justice and identity politics. And as a, from a critical perspective, does that make a sleep at the wheel rise above, much like someone like Dolly Parton rises above politics?
1: Well, I think they've always had an element of being... a. You know, consensus act. Everybody can agree with them. Uh, I do know a little bit about race politics, and I know he's he's an old hippie, left to center, uh, but that didn't stop him from playing the White House when his pal, George W. Bush, was president. He, you know, a at the wheel is one of those, can't we all just get along kind of bands. Yeah. Uh, whether you agree or not, we can dance. Now that's harder and harder to do in this polarized world we live in, but I, I'd like to think that they can still persevere and keep a uh, appealing to just
0: about everybody. Yeah, Republicans like Asleep at the Wheel too. I'm so impressed, and I hope this helped you build the studio. But Epic Records had Waylon Jennings, Mel Haggard, George Jones, Charlie Rich, Exile, Ricky Skaggs, and then Arista had Whitney Houston, was the cash cow. So were Asleep at the Wheel a priority? for a label like Epic in the 70s when they were having big hits and selling records?
2: No. No, no. Uh, uh, you know, there were so many instances where, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I tried to make hit records. So much of the reality of that is
0: that it's, uh, you know, it's a crooked business. It's a just totally... Say it you know, ain't crooked. so. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And so, you know, I can name a number of instances where songs of ours were sacrificed to other songs on uh, Epic, CBS, etc. And it was all about money. And um, we just didn't play that game well enough uh, to overcome uh, that. Despite that, we were able to get some hit records. You know, the letter Johnny Walker read was number 10. Billboard country-western hit record in 1975. House of Blue Lights somehow creeped into the top 40. You know, it was uh, it was guerrilla warfare because we had to do it on our own. We were one of the first country acts to do videos, and they wouldn't pay for it. Uh, you know, so I would hustle the money up, and, and they said, oh, uh, you know, because it wasn't MTV, they said, uh, country fans don't watch p- videos, you know. And it was this incredible time period in, in the mid '80s, in the late '80s. It, it, it was, and then we would do. Uh, since since we were hip to all the different technologies, we did um, co- combination CD video. They were called ECDS, and nobody did. <laughs> nobody. The technologies, you know, seemed to uh, you know bypass the country audience. And then all of a sudden they were the mainstream of the country audience. So, you know, a friend of mine once said, uh, being there first, uh, sometimes you win and sometimes you get shot in the back with arrows.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I've read a piece about how Mark Zuckerberg has lost, I think, a hundred billion dollars of his fortune because he's betting on this metaverse. Um, I, I, I sleep at the wheel are on Facebook. Are you the one who does the post there or do you outsource that?
2: You know, well, if we have somebody in charge of social media, but no, I, I jump in just cause, you know, when you're bored and have nothing to do Twitter. No, I mean, Twitter is just, like I say, it, to me, it's all just, uh, how do I get to my audience? Yeah. So it has nothing to do with, you know, and I'll put some political things on if I feel that it's absolutely necessary.
0: We've We're,
2: taken some hits
0: from people. Uh, we are, we are talking a week before the midterms, um, And I I dread to think what will happen there, Um, especially in... My cousin now lives in Austin uh, because he moved... He's from Britain, but he was in San Francisco and he's moved down to Austin. So uh, he's one of the many who have fled Silicon Valley. Are are they calling it Silicon Valley in the desert? I don't know what they're calling this great migration. But it seems that Texas is at this weird point in its history. Uh, And the less said about Ted Cruz, the better... Uh, I was going to ask David, who has uh, co-written this book, Coming Right At You, about Asleep at the Wheel and Ray Benson, what album do you tell people to listen to in order to get into the band? Uh,
1: you know, that one you mentioned before, Western Standard Time, is a really great entry point. See, the one before that that had House of Blue Lights on it, was that uh, 20, Right. Yeah, uh, 10. 10, right. Album number 10 and
0: like... 20, 25 years or something, no more like fifteen. Anyway, fifteen years, yeah. That was a- another
1: really good accessible record. Uh, that's the one with your version of "I Want a New Drug" on it, too, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So that's another really nice accessible one. Uh, you know, cause you can certainly go from there in any direction you want. Uh, the Western Swing record "Willie and the Wheel" uh, that you guys did.
2: I don't know, about 10 10 years ago or so. Uh, That's another really good starting. Let me me just say this. You know, Sleep at the Wheels had over 100 members in the band, and there are people who go, oh, I like, you know, from 1970 to 1978, that was the, uh, quote, original band, you know. And then the 80s band, which was with incredible players, you know, uh, and that's where our quote comeback because we didn't have a record deal from 1981 to 1986. We had a record but and it was a good record but we didn't, you know, didn't have any support, didn't have very little radio. And then you go into the 90s and, and I think David that the, the three Bob Wills tribute records if you listen to them as one, which a lot of a lot of listened in, but that is what sort of defined the Sleep of the Wheel from the 90s on. It was, a, it was definitely, I finally understood, they they put you in this niche, right? Sleep Wheels now, a Western Swing niche, even though the eclecticism of the band is where we've always been. And say, okay, well, let's embrace that. And now, once we've embraced that, a, now it's sort of like, how do I break out of that without losing that, you know?
0: It's the branding. Just ask Bizmo. Is there a significance about the name of the studio and the label, Bizmo B I S M E A U X?
2: Did you ever see Walt Kelly, the uh, the Pogo comic strip back in the fifties? I did not. Well, check it out because uh, he was a satirist, but he was in the Sunday papers every uh, as a comic strip, and it's (laughs) it's just he was the one who said we have met the enemy
0: and they are us. Ah. Very interesting. I will, I will have and, a look at that, and I, I'm thrilled that
2: it is as well. It was one thing in a, out of hundreds where the bear talks to Pogo and calls him Bismo, and you know it all takes place in a Louisiana swamp. He says to Pogo, "He's he's bear is the entrepreneur," and and he goes, "Bismo, we've got a booking in Norfolk," and Bismo being Pogo goes how did the cops know we were even there? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was uh, so apropos to uh, our lifestyle.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed, considering you were in Kentucky last week, you're in Austin, and and then in France. And then you've got, yes, a schedule that takes you into 2023. People should be clutching their coming right at years, uh, which is out in paperback at the beginning of December. I will tie these two questions together. Uh, They're kind of throwaway questions, but David, is Asleep at the Wheel an archivist project making Ray Benson a real-life Alan Lomax? And did Bob Will's Texas Playboys treat Ray like Woody Guthrie treated Bob Dylan? So similar questions, but yeah, I'm comparing Ray Benson to Alan Lomax and Bob Dylan, which might be unfair.
1: Sleep at the Wheel has certainly done a lot to uh, keep that music going, keep it alive for audiences. Uh, I don't think of it as archivist so much as uh, just, you know, a really good time. It's kind of living history in a way. Uh, Ray's played with just about everybody over the years. Um, As far as Bob Wills, they, they had very limited contact, uh, Ray and Bob, you can tell the story better than I, but they only really met once, and then not
2: really. It was at the very end of his life. There was a meeting arranged, and it just didn't quite go into plan. Uh, we went to meet Mr. Wills, and they were recording the For the Last Time record up in Dallas. So we walked in, and there was Mr. Wills in a in wheelchair, and he looked really bad. They, looked very thin. they said, Mr. Wills, this is a sleep at the wheel they just put out, take me back to Tulsa. And he just sort of nodded his head, didn't say much. They said, Mr. Wills is tired. We're going to take him back to his room, and you can talk to him tomorrow. They took him back to the hotel that night. He had a stroke, went to a coma, never said another word, and died two years later. Then two years later, we were playing the, uh, it was called the Longhorn Ballroom, which was originally the Bob Wills Ranch House. And I get out of the bus, and the guy said, hey, I'm from the AP, the Associated Press and Bob Wills died today are, are you going to still play and I went oh I'm sorry to hear but yeah we're going to play we'll honor him with by playing his
0: music of course um and the, the playboys you met but this at this time you would you have met them in the 70s you said that uh, fiddle players were having to learn guitar because all the western swing bands in Texas were it was more or less if not extinct then endangered so did the Texas playboys appreciate what you were doing
2: Oh, man, they were incredible. They were guys who, had, like I said, you know, said, like in, in Nashville, when we went to record the album, they would come over and the guy said, your record company's letting you do this? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, and, and they, were, they were thrilled. And, and of course, Eldon Shamlin, Leon McAuliffe, uh, uh, Jesse Ashlock, uh, Johnny Gimble, uh, I could go on. They all became friends of ours. And teachers, I mean, I'd sit down there next to Eldon and go, "Oh, that's how you do it." Oh, it was wonderful. It was, it was. They would come out and play with us and tell the story. The stories were just, you know, being a uh, living history is is kind of a. Um, that's when it became kind of a realizing that we really had done something special because we were recipients of this, you know, oral tradition. One of our fiddlers, Old Larry Franklin, came from a very famous fiddling family, and his uncle. Uh, Major Franklin, who was one of the greats of Texas fiddling, <laughs> like Sam Bush, went to see him and 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 brought a tape recorder and he pressed it and and old Major stopped playing and said, "Turn that damn thing off. You can't learn it. <laughs> you, know? you can't you can't learn it this way. You know, you can't tanker's old old guy." But the point is, is that the oral tradition of passing it on is something that um, it, that's how it used to be done before all of this there was no way to pass on information, tradition, lessons, etc., except person to person.
0: Yeah, you are a very, you're a six foot seven link in the long chain that goes back to the fiddlers of uh, Scots-Irish descent. I'm looking at the moment. I'm going to go to Cecil Sharp House this week uh, to read about Cecil Sharp's uh, 1910s notebooks and kind of notations about what these folk songs were. Uh, And you are... Well, you're playing songs that were recorded in the early days of commercial music, and hopefully making a lot of money. It astounds me that Ride with Bob came out on the Spielberg Katzenberg Geffen label. Did you ever meet any of them? Did they come up to you go, "Oh God, I'm a huge fan of Jump Blues"?
2: <laughs> no, I met Katzenberg. Uh, he was just—I don't know. Didn't know they had no idea what we were doing. You know, no. All they saw was Willie Nelson's name.
0: You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. Willie's brand is so strong. Um, the book is Coming Right At You, How a Jewish Yankee Hippie Went Country. You have said, Ray Benson, that you are a country singer who happens to be Jewish. Uh, it's you, Bella Fleck, the great Mickey Raphael, um, Phil Vassar, uh, and Nudie Cone. I was going to ask if you own probably the world's biggest Nudie suit. Did you ever meet Nudie Cone? Nudie was a friend of mine. Brilliant. My mother was a cohen. my mom, so I'm a cohen. You're a Cohen. Brilliant. Yeah, oh, my, I'm an Israeli. I I hold you in high honor, then, because I can't go to the Ark and you can.
2: Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> my mother was a Cohen, so I think I get entry. I, I know the secret handshake.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. That's never been shown to me. Yeah. So where no, is your nudie but, suit?
2: No, but I I would go over. He made me a pair of boots. Great. It was the only thing I ever had from him. My my first pair of fancy boots but nudie was uh, like to play the mandolin and he would come to all of our gigs at the Palomino club. And so I would go down to his shop and play guitar for him. And no, I never got, I couldn't afford his stuff. <laughs> it was like, um, but Chris, I remember he, she had uh, our girl singer, Chris O'Connell. He, he gave her one of the, one of the Annie Oakley uh, shirts that he had and gave it to her. No, he was a friend of mine. He was so funny. He would come to the Palomino club and his fashion statement
0: besides his suit was he'd wear two different, so that, so that different character. people could see the boot and then want that boot. That's great businessman. It's two for the price of one. He
2: was, he was amazing. And, then of course, his son, Manuel, that was his son-in-law, and uh, he uh, married into the business and then came out as gay and became Manuel in Nashville. But, you know, I, I, you mentioned the thing. You know, I have cousins in England who were uh, the Sedleys, David Sedley, and they were very big in the folk move, movement of the 50s in Britain. I think they became, one of them was an MP, and like I said, I have a, a number of cousins in, in
0: uh, England. Crikey. And yet, and, uh, yeah. and yet you can't perform. We're going to have to go to France and see you. But you would be perfect for the, the legend slot at Glastonbury. Glastonbury would go wild for you. Have you played Glastonbury Festival? No,
2: no. no? We've never played any big festivals, except that we did Wembley mm. with Riva McIntyre one time. Yeah, Ricky Skaggs. Um, but that's it, it's, uh, you know, we did play the whole club scene. You know, in the early, in the mid-70s, uh, we had a BBC2 hit on uh, Route 66. Yeah. It was actually a big hit, and we headlined the uh, Hammersmith Odeon, which is now what, the Apollo's, Apollo. that was called. Yeah, we headlined there and sold like 1,200 tickets and had uh, Huey Lewis and Clover open up and uh, Albert Lee and, so we had great success, and then it seemed to go to northern England as as London became a little more international city. And uh, the last time we played was up around Northampton. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I love to talk to British journalists because I have such great friends in Britain. Felicity Kendall is a good friend of mine.
0: Oh, that's a name and, drop. You're going to have to pick up that name. It's a very heavy, yeah, heavyweight it, name that you drop. Oh, that's wicked. Wow.
2: And nobody in America knows. They go, who?
0: <laughs> no, she's a national treasure here. If you were British, you would be, I think David would vouch for this, you'd be a national treasure. You would walk down the street and people would shake your hand and you'd have this angelic halo around you, as it is, you're a bloke who lives in Austin, who's, is it 200 gigs a year yeah. or whatever it is? What well, certainly was before the no, pandemic. No, we cut it, we cut it.
2: You know, in deference to my age, we're just down to about 120. Yeah, just 120.
0: 120. Uh, David, can you vouch for Ray having stacks of half-written legal pads and scraps of paper where he writes his songs?
2: Do you want to see them? Uh, uh, they're,
0: they're
2: there, yeah. There, here. Hey, I wrote this last night. There you go.
1: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> oh, here's one. Let's see, what's this? Yeah, I wrote this one for Lyle Lovett's children. He had twins, and so they're Will and Ellen. I wrote them a song. Oh. Um, no, there's, there's, yeah, no, it's... It's, um, it's my kids. And luckily, Sam, who you know, David has met. Sam is my oldest son, and he runs my life. And luckily, you know, it's you know, child is father to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and
1: um,
2: so that'll be his problem to deal with that. Him and my oldest son Aaron, who's you know, they both are invaluable in this 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 uh, version of us. But yeah, that thing's full of them. That thing's full of them. There's over there, and then there's a there's just boxes of scribblings
0: well Bob Dylan's got his archive in Oklahoma Marty Stewart's got his museum in Philadelphia Mississippi I hope David that you can um, open the Ray Benson Asleep at the Wheel archives at some point but not for many 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 years
2: it is in uh, Texas State University
0: oh marvellous
2: I'm also donating my Asleep at
1: the Wheel notes and whatnot to the collection
0: spectacular Uh, And the book is Coming Right At You, How a Jewish Yankee Hippie Went Country or The Often Outrageous History of Asleep at the Wheel. David and Ray, thank you so very much. Ray, uh, bon voyage for Paris and France next week.